Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So this episode, we're going to be talking about the deadliest, most aggressive, most evil tarantulas that are sure to bite you in the face. I'm totally kidding on this one. What we're going to be talking about today are old world specifically. Recently on my YouTube page, I've been getting quite a few comments on the old world videos, older videos mostly, about A, either people not ever attempting to keep any of the old world species, or B, pointing out that yes, although mine are very calm and seem to be laid back, there are other YouTubers out there that have super quote-unquote aggressive, nasty ones, folks talking about they'll never get into them because they're super dangerous, and that always bothers me. So so today we're going to take a look at old worlds, we're going to break it down, we're going to talk about how to keep old world, some tips to making sure that you and your tarantula are safe, talking about why they have this bad reputation. And some of these are topics that I've covered in other podcasts in different degrees. So as I went through and tried to find out had I ever ever covered this before, I found other podcasts where I've talked a bit about this or talked about different sections of this, whether it be housing, whether it be temperament, whether it be a comparison to old world, new worlds. But I don't think I've actually sat down and just covered old worlds. And I think it needs to be done because I do think that we have a slight issue in the hobby overall of jumping on people that get into old worlds, uh, quote unquote, too early. Uh, We've done such a good job about warning people about them that I think we've turned a lot of people off. And it's a shame because there's some beautiful spiders out there. And now that I've been doing this for a little while, working with both old worlds and new worlds, I see that a lot of what we talk about when it comes to old worlds is overblown. But before we get into this, I do want to make a couple points perfectly clear because I don't want somebody to get the wrong impression of this and walk away and say, Tom Moran said, everybody should jump right into old worlds. That's not what this is about. This is taking a realistic look at old worlds, the threats they they pose, the way to keep them. But one thing we want to make very clear, most old world tarantulas are quite fast, much faster than your average new world species. And unlike new world species, they don't have urticating hairs, meaning if they feel threatened and they feel cornered, they will slap up that threat posture and they will use their venom to defend themselves. And the big thing that separates old worlds from new worlds and the big thing that kind of keeps a lot of folks away from them is the fact that they have quote unquote medically significant venom. And why I say quote unquote on that one is because people hear medically significant and automatically think you're going to die. No, that's not true. You may feel like you want to be dead for a little while. It's not pleasant at all. I'm not sugarcoating a coating it a bit, a bite from an old world would be quite nasty. So when you factor in the speed, when you factor in the fact that if you screw up in a rehousing or you screw up in a feeding or you lose concentration, you reach in to grab a water dish and you get a feeding response, you are going to get a nasty bite. So that needs to be stated. It needs to be clear. I'm not telling people to rush out and get them. I'm not telling people that there isn't a chance that you get bitten. But I think what we need to look at is how common is this truly? How often can somebody who exercises good husbandry techniques that is treats their animals with respect and care, does safe rehousings, how likely is it for them to actually be on the receiving end of one of those bites? How dangerous, quote unquote, dangerous are these guys really? And I use that big time, quote unquote, everybody knows how much I hate that. So to get into it, I think for many of us, what happens is we get into the hobby and we start researching tarantulas. And a lot of us start off with just naturally, we find some old world species at a Petco or something. We see something online. We go, oh, I really want this spider. And then we start to do a little research and we realize that some of the ones we've been looking at are called old worlds. Now, old world tarantulas are ones obviously from the continents of Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, surrounding islands. And like we talked about earlier, they do not have those urticating hairs, which can be quite nasty too. They bite as last line of defense. Now, I'm going to make it very clear that I'm saying last line of defense because this is not normally their first line of defense. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So I think what happens is we go out, we start making our lists, we find some of these old worlds, we're like, what is this old world thing? And we start doing some research and we realize that, you know what, we're not ready for them. But we read some terrible things about them being nasty, dangerous, aggressive is thrown out quite a bit. You'll hear folks, I, I know when I looked up old worlds, I had certain species, I think Ovilocipes was one of the ones that folks mentioned that when they bite, they bite 
three times. So if you get bit by one, if it tags you, it's going to hit you three times because it's that angry at you. And of course, the venom from an oviolospes would be nasty. So the thought of getting tagged three times by a potentially nine-inch spider with really bad venom is horrific. So I think what happens is we start doing some research and we shy away from it. And I think what also happens is as many of us get more involved in the hobby, we feel less prepared for it. And it starts kind of like you get your first couple new world species, you're doing a rehousing, all of a sudden you're, I don't know, we'll say Brachypelma homorii bolts on you and it startles you. And you're like, wow, these things can really move. And this is a new world that's supposed to be slow. And then the doubt sets in and you start thinking to yourself, all right, if I freaked out for my B. homorii, what would happen if that was, say, a P. murinus? And that festers, and we start getting situations where folks never look at old worlds again. Also, what ends up happening is, unfortunately, you'll spend a lot of time on forums and Facebook groups. You'll see people be admonished in Facebook groups because they're like, hey, I've been in the hobby for five months, and here is my, I don't know, we'll go with C. lividus sling or my C. lividus juvenile. And people freak out, jump all over them, share all these horror stories about how terrible they are. And that starts to, again, perpetuate that idea that, these aren't your average everyday pet, which they're not. Regular tra- old uh, New World tarantulas are not your average everyday pet, but these are ones that are like it's almost with like folks that keep non-venomous snakes to venomous snakes. Like you're taking a huge step into the big leagues. You're taking a huge step into inviting danger and tragedy into your life because you're keeping these spiders. And let's call it as it is where if you have that person that is suddenly finding themselves afraid of working with a Brachypelma homorii because that incident where it bolted or it ran, maybe they got a threat posture out of their T. albopilosis. Whatever the case, this is an individual that would probably really be freaking out with an old world. So let's not say that it's not important that people understand the difference between them. I have often said to folks that are asking if they are ready for old world tarantulas, that if you're still getting a little bit freaked out, if you're getting super nervous over rehousing your new world species, or like I'll have folks come up and go, oh, my GBB, like it moves so fast, I'm, I'm terrified of it, then you're probably not ready for old world tarantulas because that you're going to get more of that or more likely to get more of that with old world species. So I think we do need to, as a hobby, make sure that folks new to the hobby recognize the fact that there are differences between old worlds and new worlds, that they are very, very, very well aware of the differences in speed and venom potency and the way you keep them. We'll get into that in a bit as well. But I think sometimes we do too good of a job trying to warn people off from keeping old worlds too soon. So I think what unfortunately happens is we kind of get the torch and pitchfork attitude, the gang mentality in public forums, certain forums that will totally destroy you if you come out and they think you've got an old world tarantula too early. There are Facebook groups where people will come up and they'll get admonished for it, although I think it's gotten better. I haven't been spending as much time on Facebook lately, obviously, but Billy kind of fills me on some of the stuff that happens, some of the things that are said. And unfortunately, with these instances where we're admonishing people for getting them too early, we're talking about, you don't know what this could do if it came out, bit your child, which is, again, an important thought, an important concern. But I think we go so far over that it goes from people being respectful of old world tarantulas to being terrified of them. And that's where the problem comes in, because eventually people start keeping them and they have all this in the back of their mind. And it leads to a scared keeper instead of just a keeper that is well aware of the potential risks and is ready to deal with them. When you have fear, and we've talked about this many times over the years, fear is not a good ingredient to keeping tarantulas or spiders or any animal that has the potential to bite. You want that respect because that's what's going to keep you being careful, being cautious, using proper husbandry techniques, using proper and safe rehousing techniques. When you get to, when you're not scared of them at all, that's when you get bad stuff that happens. But we don't want to go so far that people end up terrified of them. That is not healthy. That is not a good thing. There's a difference between respect and fear. Trust me. I used to be obviously very arachnophobic. And I can tell you that was a bit of a hindrance early on. Because some of the things when I would do rehousings, things didn't go quite right. The nerves would kick in. And I wasn't thinking rationally. And you don't want that. And I think sometimes one of the issues that we have, and I've shared many times that I'm not a huge fan of YouTube anymore. I I won't say it was ever huge. Hugely into it as far as tarantula care. I like 
used to watch it, just certain feeding videos to see what species were out there. I like to kind of go around and see how people are keeping them and whatnot. But I'm not the biggest fan of the clickbaity pet tube crap that's out there now. And there's a lot of it. Unfortunately, it's it seems like anybody that's getting into pet tubing that wants to draw views toward their channel will start inevitably they'll succumb to it. I've, I've spoken to some good people, some new hobbies over the years that were trying to start YouTube channels that asked me my advice. I'd say, listen, keep it about the, the spiders. Don't do the clickbait stuff. Don't do things that make the spiders look dangerous. And then I watched their channel develop and all of a sudden we got, look at this, I'm rehousing my dangerous whatever species or I'm feeding my aggressive tarantula or my tarantula tried to kill me or my favorite, the most dangerous tarantulas out there. I hate that stuff. It does no good for the hobby. It brings even the people that you're bringing in with that because that's all it's going to attract. The people that know about tarantulas normally know that that's bull. They know that it's garbage. What it's doing is bringing in people that are afraid of them already and it's perpetuating those ideas they have about them, those stigmas that surround them, and it's doing nothing to help the hobby. So I think a lot of the blame for the fact that folks are freaked out about keeping old worlds come from those types of videos. There are a lot of them out there. I did a search before I started doing this one, looked at some of them, and I was like, it was nice to see some folks are putting adjectives in there, like my cute, my darling, whatever. There were some nice adjectives out there for the spiders, which I love because it kind of draws people in like, wait a minute, what are you talking about, your cute spider? And then, you know, many of the people that watch it probably aren't going to go, oh, hey, that's cute. But I think it, it portrays them in a softer manner that will, I think, ultimately be better for bringing people into the hobby. So I do think that a big problem that we have and a lot of why I have these questions on my YouTube channel, particularly, I don't usually get these from email. It's usually on YouTube because somebody goes out, watches another video with some idiot prodding their OBT or drawing it out or has it in an enclosure that's way too small for it. So when they rip the top off, it rips all its webbing off. The spider feels exposed. It's not aggressive. It's defensive. It's defending itself. It's If it had the emotion, it would be scared. It feels threatened. That's a big difference. And unfortunately, there's a lot out there with people, you know, watering them to try to get that them to slap and go, oh, look at how terrible and how dangerous this is. There's, I can't tell you how many ones I've seen over the years, and this is one of the reasons I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos anymore, where the spider is blatantly being harassed, miskept, they stage things, they stage examples of their supposed aggression in order to horrify viewers, they go, oh, look at that spider, it's terrible, and it's funny because I'll have people come over with the same species that they're seeing there and look at my video, and some, of course, are like, well, I don't understand why yours is so calm, this guy's is above, and it gives me an opportunity to explain why mine's so calm, because I'm not going in there dumping water on it. I have it in a correct size enclosure. I'm not trapping it out in the open so that it'll feel defensive and do this. I'm trying to deal with my spiders in a way that is respectful, that keeps them as calm as possible. So I do think that's a big part of it. Also, I think a lot of the care sheets, if you go online now, I think the spider hobby has blown up to a point where a lot of websites that used to do care sheets for different animals and stuff are really getting into doing the care sheets for tarantulas because they realize this is a big market. This is big traffic. People are out there looking for that information. And of course, what usually happens in the hobby, you can tell these, I can spot them from a mile away. I'm sure you, most of you can too. Folks that are doing care sheets on animals they have never kept in their entire life. That will always drive me absolutely nuts. I always will have an exception with that. I had somebody try to argue with me. Well, you know, if they do the research, no, it's not the same. If you're going to talk about these animals and their behavior, please keep them first so you know what you're talking about. But lately, I get a lot on my feed, my Google News feed that is from different pet websites that are telling how to care for them. And a lot of them will refer to them as aggressive when they talk about old world teas. Aggressive, they will bite. The venom's bad. So people read this and they go, heck, I, well, the problem is the people that should be keeping them read this and go, I don't want to take the chance keeping this animal. I don't want to put my myself, my family, my pets in danger because this animal could be a nightmare. It could escape. It could bolt. It could bite me. It could bite my dog, bite my baby. They freak out over it. And sadly, those are the people we're turning off. And then the flip side of it is the people that are watching this video going, oh man, I got to get me one of those. It's super dangerous. Are the ones we don't want in the hobby in the first place. They're the ones grabbing these OBTs. And then I'm getting basically messages from them going, I don't understand. 
man, I have an OBT. This thing's supposed to be a killer. And it just sits in its den all day long. Well, congratulations. That's a, probably a properly kept OBT. That's what you want. But they don't want that. They want something they could show off to their friends and say they're dangerous. So I think there's a lot of harm that can come. And this is why I've harped on this over the years, why it still bothers me. One of the reasons, again, why I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube because I, I hate when I see some new YouTuber that kind of like, oh, this guy's got it down. He's, you know, sharing his experiences in the hobby. He's put it out there that he's just starting. And next thing you know, it it's feeding my aggressive spiders up. Oh, there we go. We, you've completely gone to the dark side. You're going to try the clickbaity stuff to get more views because that's always what it's all about. So quite frankly, most hobbyists that watch these types of videos find them to be deplorable. We hate them. Those of us who love these animals do not want to watch videos with them using verbiage that makes them sound like they're dangerous. And I can tell you that being in the hobby for a while, doing the public stuff, the website, the YouTube, obviously the podcast for quite a while now, I have firsthand experience of how the harm these videos can do. I have firsthand experience of the folks that in some cases are forever turned off to ever even thinking about keeping old worlds because of the images they've seen, because of what they've been told by shoddy care sheets written by people who have never kept a tarantula in their life, by what they've witnessed for, by some YouTuber who basically the spiders are a way to make money. They're out there putting this stuff out there, not because they love their animals. They're doing it because there's money to be found. They can get money off their videos. They can get money off selling things. Those are what that's what they're seeing. And unfortunately, those videos are very popular. I don't I'm never gonna get to those type of numbers, and I'm fine with that. But that's the type of stuff they're seeing, and it damages our hobby as a whole because what happens is when people aren't interested in old worlds, people stop selling old worlds. And you're starting to see things that were very common start to go away because people aren't as interested in them. So I think the problem is the vast majority of the public at large already find tarantulas to be frightful, even repulsive. Why, as a hobby, do we want to be responsible for reinforcing this prejudice? So with that in mind, let's get a couple things out of the way right off the bat. Number one, tarantulas are not deadly. If you see somebody using the word deadly tarantula in their video or in their topic or, you know, the topic of the video or... Call them out on it, please, because that's ridiculous. They are not deadly no matter what you read. You do a bit of research, you'll find out that there have only been a handful of cases where folks have died from a tarantula bite. I believe in two instances, it wasn't the bite itself. It wasn't the venom that killed them. I believe in one, it was in a fauna pelma. It was gangrene. It was back years ago before we were good at treating these types of infections. Person got bit, got gangrene, and it spread, and they died. There was one, I believe, with an S. calciatum where somebody was in the middle of the jungle got bit on the back of the neck and that uh, again there wasn't the proper medical care and that person I believe died but that's it think of how many millions of people have been living not only with tarantulas in their house in their you know I, right now I have 250 tarantulas behind me think of how many people there are in a hobby how many people keep old worlds Think of how many folks live in the areas where these guys are. Folks in India and China and Thailand and think of all the venomous species, Australia. They live with these guys in proximity to them, in close proximity. And we have three total instances that we can find of somebody dying from. I would say, I don't, I'm not a math person, but if somebody does the odds of how many people have lived during that time period and how many people have kept them, that's got to be point zero zero. just keep going percent. Nobody dies from tarantula bites. That, so does that mean we want to get bit by old worlds? No, we don't. But I think that it's important to recognize they are not deadly. So let's take that word right out of our discussion, right out of our tarantula vernacular as we move on. Does that mean that bites are harmless? No. And as we've said, the old world tarantulas do possess venom that is considered to be medically significant, meaning it can put a hurting on you. Some of them, it's going to be localized pain or excruciating localized pain for a bit. Some of them, Pisolotheria species come to mind, have very nasty bites that not only hurt immensely right off the bat, but the pain can spread. It can lead to heart palpitations, dizziness, vomiting, full body cramping. This is no joke. Regardless if you're going to die or not, this is something that could be debilitating, could cause missed days of work. There were situations where somebody got bit and several months later it came back and they were cramping up again. So it's no joke. So I want to make that very, very clear. A bite, a painful bite that can linger for months, that's nothing to scoff at. That's nothing to trifle with. 
So when you take that information in and you take the information in that a bad bite could put a hurting on you, could put someone in the hospital, I can see why for many this alone is enough of a deterrent from keeping these species. I totally understand it. And again, I want to make it clear that this podcast is in no way, shape, or form me trying to pressure folks that have said, I will never keep old worlds. That is your prerogative. I completely understand. Like we always talk about risk versus reward. We talked about this recently in the podcast with Dr. Andy Anderson, where for some folks, they weigh the pros and cons. And sometimes a con like, hey, I could be hurt really bad by a bite is enough to go. I'm not even going to take the chance. I understand that and fully respect it. But I think one thing that's not mentioned, and this bothers me, bites are not inevitable. We always talk about that bites could hurt, they could put us in the hospital, but what is the potential of that happening? We never discuss the fact that there are keepers and dealers who have worked with old world tarantulas for years, hundreds of old worlds, thousands of old worlds who have never been bitten. And in fact, the vast majority of folks who are in the hobby, even those keeping old world tarantulas, have never suffered a bite from any spider. And then furthermore, if you look into bite reports, uh, Arachnoboards used to have a wonderful page of bite reports where folks could post, this was the species, this is what the symptoms were, they would update you. It was really, really cool. But what I always read, and this is what I did when I first was looking at getting into old world spiders, I read what were the circumstances leading up to the bites. A lot of times, they were things like tong feeding. The spider overshoots the tong, hits the guy feeding it. Other ones, people trying to get photo shoots, getting too close to a spider. Guy gets its OBT out. He's getting right up in its face with the camera. The OBT charges, goes over the camera, bam, on the hand. Other ones, people doing stupid feeding mistakes. We used to talk about that with, sta- with snakes all the time, stupid feeding mistakes. They reach their bare hand in to grab a water dish to clean it out. For, I don't know, the Formictopus cancerides. The Formictopus cancerides goes, oh, good food. Bam, you get a bite. The vast majority of these I could look at and go, that didn't have to happen. Now, I know folks are out there would be like, well, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And of course, that's true. You can't be diligent all the time. We've all had moments where there's been a lapse of concentration. And that lapse of concentration with a new world isn't quite as severe as, or potentially severe as a lack of concentration with an old world. I understand that. But if you look at the circumstances surrounding the few bite reports that we have out there now, and there aren't a lot of them. I mean, if you look at Facebook groups, message boards and such, maybe people are just reluctant to put it out there. But there's not a lot of bites out there at all from either old world or new world to talk about. And when you consider the amount of people, this hobby is bigger than ever now all over the world. We're not just talking about the U.S. We're talking about Europe. We're talking about Canada. We're talking about Philippines. There's not a lot of bites to talk about. So I think it's important that we talk about the fact that, yes, is there a potential risk, potential being the key word, risk, when working with old world tarantulas? Absolutely. It's a fact that when you're working with one of these spiders, if something bad were to happen, there's a risk. Yeah, we can't can't say that that's not true. However, it's also a fact that the vast majority of folks who work with them won't get bitten. The thing is, respectful and conscientious keepers can vastly mitigate the risk to the point of non-issue by following safe practices and by avoiding situations that unnecessarily put the spider and the keeper at risk of friction. So I think that it's important that we all acknowledge there is a big difference between an activity that is dangerous and an activity that carries with it the potential of danger. So take a moment to think about it and think about some of the day-to-day activities people partake in that have an element of danger. Dirt biking, skateboarding, horseback riding, cycling, skiing, all have inherent dangers and have the potential for serious, serious injury. Those who partake in those pastimes, which can result in broken bones, hospitalization, death, aren't getting admonished for partaking in dangerous activities. Heck, swimming in the ocean, surfing, you can expose people to the possibility of a shark attack. Again, people are going to immediately jump in and go, the chances of that are slim to none. I agree. That's the difference between doing something that's dangerous. When we talk about using old worlds, it's dangerous to have old worlds. And having a hobby that there is an element of danger to it. Heck, every time one of us gets into our vehicle and drives... We're putting ourselves in danger. That's the honest to God truth of it. So I think in the tarantula hobby, we just like to immediately disregard the fact that risks are not inevitable 
or even likely in capable hands. That's the part that is ignored. That's the part that we don't give a lot of thought to. We go, oop, it has fangs. Oop, it can bite. Therefore, we're going to get bitten. It's going to hurt. It's going to be terrible. We don't look at the fact that those who have respect for their animals, exercise caution at all times, practice safe husbandry routines, have little to nothing to fear. I work with old worlds all of the time. I don't go into it thinking I'm going to get bit. I go into it thinking, let me make sure I'm careful, cautious, respectful, and remember that this spider is probably, not probably, it absolutely is more quote-unquote afraid of me than I am of it. That's an important thing to keep in mind. I'm the big monster in this situation, not the animal. When I'm rehousing, that eight-legged creature that you know a vast majority of the planet is afraid of is actually the thing that, if it had, again, those complicated emotions, is afraid or wary of me. I'm the one that's posing the bigger threat to the other one, so to speak. So we always need to keep that in mind. And I think when you start looking at defensive behavior as a response to an animal being worried for its own safety, I think that makes it a little easier to tolerate those outbursts. So moving on from this, what about their aggressiveness? Doesn't that increase the risk? I hear so much about old worlds being aggressive. I hate the word. Again, I will argue it until I'm blue in the face that there's a difference between aggressive and defensive. Aggressive, I'm looking for the fight. I'm out. I see some guy. You looking at me? I'm walking up to him. I'm starting a fight. Defensive, the guy comes up to me, makes a comment to me, says, hey, I'm going to punch you in the face. Now I'm, I'm getting upset. I'm getting anxious. I'm getting afraid. I'm getting worried. And I may act out in defense of myself. There's a big difference between the two. Because again, as I've argued before, when you say that they're aggressive, you are taking keeper responsibility out of it. You're saying no matter what I do as a keeper, this spider is going to be nasty, mean, and try to hurt me. And that is complete, utter BS. The idea of saying defensive is there's always something you can do to decrease that defensiveness, whether it be just during a rehousing or during the spider's actual living situation where it becomes defensive because maybe the cage isn't right. That's an important thing to think of. Sadly, however, the term aggressive is tossed around all the time. And unfortunately, this is a very unfair description for the vast majority of tarantulas. Why is that? Another thing people don't talk about is the fact that old world tarantulas are generally very shy animals that are often more wary of us than we are of them. Fossorial or burrowing species will quickly retreat to the safety of their dens if given the opportunity. Peacelotheria species, these guys, I don't think there's any spider out there besides the OBT or any genus of tarantulas that's out there that's so villainized in the hobby as Peacelotheria. I'll put the Peacelotheria video up, I'll put a picture up, people but, oh, beautiful, but my God, I'm terrified. They're so nasty. The first thing most pokies do when they are confronted or feel like they are being threatened is they flatten out and use that fractile patterning on the back to camouflage. So I have seen poke, I've seen people easily rehouse pokies by you jostle the enclosure. The pokey flattens out on its cork bark and they just take the whole cork bark out and move it to the new enclosure. Simple as that. That's their first line of fence. Guess what their second line of fence is? And I'll give you a clue. It is not to bite usually. It is to run. Most, and this is the case with most old world species, they don't want to stand and fight. Anything that's going to be attacking an old world tarantula in the wild, generally speaking, is probably bigger than it and is possibly going to be using it as a food source. And they recognize they're not going to kill that predator most likely. So their first reaction is to run. I've watched, especially if you have fossorial species, if a fossorial tarantula is out in the open, you tap that enclosure a little bit, usually they bolt right to the safety of their burrow and they sit there. If Peacelotheria, they either run and try to hide behind something or they, if they feel like they're caught out in the open, they flatten out. They sit there. I have so many old world species that either burrow or hide in webbing. It's not an issue. It's not like they're coming out to get me when I open up their enclosure, as long as you give them the right type of enclosure. So I think that's really important to consider that if you give the tarantulas cover and personal space, you can usually avoid any type of behavior that can be read as aggressive. I have folks, I do rehousing videos all the time. I talk about my, my old world tarantulas all the time and say, I have had almost no 
threat postures from my old worlds. The ones I have received have been from, one of them was a Harpactra Polkerpes, my female, who honestly is one of the most laid back specimens in my entire collection, new world or old world. But what happened was she was kind of in standby mode. I dropped a cricket in, the cricket bounced off her carapace. She threw up a threat posture. It was a weak one. A few minutes later or seconds later, she realized it was food there, grabbed the food. She was fine. Same thing happened, I think, with my Harpactra Caffariana. And consequently, both of these are two spiders that generally hang out a little more in the open. That's about it. I don't get a lot of threat postures from any of my. I've got one threat posture from a piece of species. It struck, and it was because it was a piece of metallica who I was trying to get footage of. I stuck a camera in its face. The flash was on it. It got disturbed by it, and I think I came on it so quickly. It freaked. It slapped at the camera and then ran away and hid. That was totally my fault, and it was less, I will tell you, lesson learned. Now, keepers will correctly argue that these species can be defensive, and I agree 100% with that. They will defend themselves if they feel cornered or threatened. When presented with no other alternative, old world species will stand their ground, and they will often rear up in intimidating threat poses, slapping the ground in front of them as a warning to back off. Sometimes they got their fangs out there working. I've seen pictures of OBTs with the venom dripping out of the fangs. They're not joking. At this point, you get too close, you're going to get tagged. And this can also be quite intimidating and a keeper messing with an agitated animal could end up with an injury. You got to be very careful if they've gotten to that point where they're like, all right, I have nothing left to lose. I'm going to stand my ground. So that would be a situation where they're more likely to use their fangs as defense if threatened. Now, if this happens during maintenance or a feeding, trick is you put the cover back on, you close the cage, you walk away and let it calm down. Easy enough. It happens during a rehousing. If the spider's in its old enclosure and you don't feel like messing with it at that agitated state, then you can easily just close the enclosure, come back and try it again later. Or I've had people tell me that they say, hey, if it goes into a threat posture, at least I know it's not going anywhere. It's not bolting. It's easy to cup them, slide the cardboard under them, move them to no enclosure carefully and leave them alone. Whatever you're comfortable with, I've done that as well myself. I'd already committed to it, so I took it out and put it in. But either way, there's a warning. It's not like they're going to fly out of that cage and jump onto your face. That would be aggressive. The thing scuttling across the floor, chasing you across the room, normally not going to happen. So that needs to be taken into consideration that if you're getting that type of behavior, the animal feels threatened, and it's your job as the keeper to make sure that you back off or at least give it a situation to calm down. I think that many of us who've worked with tarantulas for any length of time are quite adept at recognizing when a spider is starting to get agitated and know when to back off to avoid friction. And I think we also recognize the role proper housing can play in drastically reducing any risk of negative action. So we kind of, the folks that report that their old worlds are a little more laid back, generally are a little more comfortable working with them and have them set up correctly. It's also important, I know this sometimes gets caught up and lost in things, recognizing that tarantula's awesome feeding responses are often taken as a sign of quote-unquote aggressiveness. They are lightning fast when they hunt. They have violent reactions towards prey when they sense something close by. And I think that's sometimes misinterpreted as a sign of defensiveness or aggression. So for example, a keeper using tongs, say, to remove uh, food remains, a bolus, from a spider's webbing may not realize that as they're diddling the webbing they're trying to get that thing out, the spider is recognizing the disturbances and vibrations as potential prey. So when the tarantula pounces out of its enclosure and wraps around those tongs, it looks like it's attacking the keeper, but it's not. It's going for prey. I just posted a video where I was rehousing an avicularia, avicularia morph 6. And during the video, I went to gently touch the back of the spider's leg to try to get it moving. And it turned and launched itself at the brush. And first, I thought it was a defensive attack. And then the more I watched the video, I realized I had touched it twice. The first time woke the spider up. It was kind of in standby mode. And the second one, the spider leapt because it thought it was a prey item, was trying to grab it. And as soon as it realized it wasn't a prey item, it released and let go. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. I even took that initial pounce as a defensive type move when that wasn't the case at all. So I think a lot of times we see that type of behavior with ours and we immediately go, oh, it's being defensive when in fact it's just hungry. It's trying to grab food. They've got to pounce on that food quick, grab it. So it's often violent and it can be a little bit scary. So the truth is there's always going to be some folks out there that after doing research, weighing the facts, decide they will never feel ready to keep an old world. For some, that minuscule risk is just not even worth keeping them. And I completely understand that. But we do need to recognize that 
it's not inevitable that you get bit and there's a lot to do to avoid it. And if you're the type that's out there saying, hey, even after listening to this, I don't want to keep them, totally okay. What's not okay is people being scared off from them, even considering keeping one of these amazing animals due to the fear mongering and the blatant misinformation that's out there or the lack of pertinent and correct information. The fact that most of them will flee first, the fact that you need to give them more room. I think I can safely say that I can speak for the majority of folks out there that really do love tarantulas, love the hobby. When I say that those who go out there and put those put videos out saying they're aggressive, that put out videos with them purposely harassing them to get those kind of responses, they're no friend of the hobby. They're not helping the hobby. I don't care how many new hobbyists they bring in. It's just not worth it to perpetuate that idea that these are animals to be feared, respected, absolutely feared. No. So, what are some tips when working with old worlds? That to help folks, again, mitigate any of those risks to a point where it's not really a risk anymore. And I think I can say without, I I don't want this to come across as cocky because it's not because every rehousing billion I do, we do with the utmost care. We plan, we prep ahead of time. The idea, especially because we record the vast majority of them, I want folks to see good examples of how to safely move them. But I can honestly say I feel about the same amount of anxiety moving an old world or transferring an old world species as I do a new world, and I feel feel zero anxiety when performing maintenance or feeding. None whatsoever. I feed my old worlds, no issues whatsoever. So I want to get that out there because from a personal perspective, I am to a point, and granted, I have a lot of experience doing this now, but I feel comfortable in the fact that this, I don't look at this as a dangerous hobby. I don't walk up to my transfer room and go, I have to rehouse an old world today. Oh God, I'm putting myself in danger. I just don't think that way. So let's think of a, a couple things, a couple tips to help folks get going. Number one, there should never be any rush to get into old worlds. I'm not telling people to go jump right into it. I think some people get into them very early and find out, hey, they're really not that bad. We always talk about our folks, our friends over in Australia, that all they can keep is old worlds. So that's all they start off right from day one. That's all they get. And they do fine with it. I think the key is always, and I will continue to state this, the key is always to get good experience with calmer species first to make sure that you have your basic husbandry down before increasing the challenge. I do feel like you at least need to have some rehousings under your belt, preferably with larger spiders. I've had folks go, yeah, I rehoused a few New World slings. Now I think I'm ready for an old world. No, you want to work with the larger spiders. You want that moment that we alluded to early where your B. Hamorii bolts and kind of startles you because you want to see what you're going to do. Are you one of those ones that freaks out? I've had people tell me that they've had New World species bolt and it scared them so bad that they don't even want to work with the New World species anymore. It just totally took away all their confidence. That's something you want to know before you get into keeping old worlds because there are some tricks to keeping them and doing rehousings that require you to be calm. So what it constitutes adequate experience, that varies from keeper to keeper. I can't tell you when you're ready. If you're having nightmares about rehousing spiders, if you're dreading rehousing that GBB because it's you're just sweating thinking about how fast it can supposedly move, then you're probably not ready for it. The, the fact is there's no set period of time. It's not like martial arts where, oh, you got your blue belt so you can go do it. It doesn't work that way. It's up to the individual. One tip I usually give the keepers is to watch those rehousing videos, watch them rehousing old worlds and then try to imagine you're the one doing it how would you react would you be able to do that get into that video with the spider bolts watch the good videos see how it can be done without i know a guy that you can watch that usually has pretty calm videos watch how they react to them watch some of the crappy ones watch the ones where folks don't know what they're doing or are terrible and they're try to identify those areas where, hey, there's where he made the mistake. I used to love watching videos, rehousing videos, where it went wrong, not because I wanted to see a train wreck, because I wanted to analyze what happened and see where was the point where this keeper lost control. Where was the point where this keeper made the mistake that led to this debacle? Or when the spider got out, what did the keeper do? Was he able to quickly corral it because he was calm, or did they freak out trying to cup it real quick, have the spider fly off the table onto an the shelf. I've seen so many things looking at these types of videos over the years. It's crazy, but study them and figure out, hey, can I do that? Can I mentally prep myself for the fact that the spider may not go right into the enclosure? Can I mentally prep myself for the fact that the spider may suddenly stand its ground, throw up a threat posture? That stuff you need to watch and work through. 
Now, does that take place? Uh, take the place of actual rehousing experience? No, you should actually have, as we talked about earlier, some rehousing experience under your belt. But watching those videos when you're getting ready to make that jump into old worlds can be crucial. The other thing, we've talked about the ladder system before for folks that really want to move into it slowly. A lot of folks like the ladder system. The idea is that an individual interested in getting into old world terrestrials might begin with the Gramostola species to kind of get the hang of just working with a terrestrial spider, big spider, then try keeping a more challenging genus like maybe a Canthoscuria, Formictopus, Panthobedius, and then eventually jump into keeping an old world species. Same thing, somebody looking to keeping Pisolotheria could conceivably start with an Avicularia, probably one of the calmest of the arboreal species available, then move to a Salmopia species, which many would argue are actually a little more rambunctious than most Pisolotheria, and then get into the Pisolotheria. But the trick is to recognize your, where you're at as a keeper, what you're comfortable with, and don't jump into the deep end if you're not ready. So now you've reach the point where you're eyeing your first old world, you're feeling comfortable enough, and I will tell you, there's always apprehension. I think the majority of us will admit, many of us will admit, that we felt ready, got our first old world, and immediately the self-doubt started creeping in. What have I done? Have I gotten? I can't tell you how many people have emailed me, hey, I just got my first blank, whatever the old world species is. I thought I was ready, but I'm starting to have second thoughts that I'm ready for this. Nothing's gone wrong. They're just, now it's in their possession. Now they're in charge of its care. They realize, oh God, uh, this is it. I have to do this. And sometimes that freaks people out. So one thing you can do right off the bat to make your life easier is give some serious thought to housing. Housing is a huge part of keeping old world species calm. When making the transition old world species, the correct housing becomes crucial in curbing any potential defensive behaviors. So whether you're working with an antisocial fossorial species or a really shy arboreal, you're going to want to make sure that you give it the correct environment to make the day-to-day -day husbandry much easier and safer. Because remember, any potential negative interactions between a keeper and his animals is likely going to be due to the spider feeling exposed and cornered. We discussed earlier a lot of the videos that show the quote-unquote angry and aggressive spiders they also, a lot of them, the thing a lot of them have in common is the fact that these spiders are kept in too small or too shallow enclosures. It's very important to remember most old worlds, many old worlds out there, even the so-called terrestrial ones, love to burrow and get out of sight. If they can't burrow, they love to web. So if you don't give them enough room to dig, they are going to web up the top of that enclosure. Now, if you give them a really shallow enclosure, that's going to lead to that situation where you rip the cover off to do a feeding, you have ripped the top off of its house, and you are going to potentially have a very defensive spider. We always talk about, I love to use the analogy, it'd be like you sitting in your room at night and all of a sudden some big giant rips the top off your house and starts throwing like hamburgers or something at you. You're going to freak out. That is not a, a good situation to have. It, it would freak out anybody. So you need to keep that in mind. So using enclosures with depth, even for spiders that are supposedly terrestrial, permits room for webbing, permits room for space between you and your spider. Although old worlds kept in smaller dram bottles or deli cups are not normally an issue, the juveniles and especially adults will definitely benefit from some extra room. So when in doubt with the old world species, go a little bit larger. Give them some extra room. For some species, if you know it's a fast-growing one, sometimes we skip the juvenile stage. We put them right into an adult enclosure. I've told people before, for example, with peace Letheria species, a lot of them, they'll start off as little slings. You'll have them in those 32-ounce Deli cups, before you know it, you get a big molt, things three, three and a half inches long. That can go into a much larger enclosure and spare you having to do an extra rehousing. Also, if you know, obviously, where the issues are going to happen are usually during the rehousing. If you have that 32 ounce deli cup, you put it in a large enough case, you can just pop the top off that deli cup put the whole enclosure in the new enclosure, leave it there, let it come out on its own. There's no harm in doing that. That's just safe rehousing practices. So substrate depth, that's something that needs to be mentioned. Starter burrows, something that needs to be mentioned. Many old worlds are fossorial. That means they like to construct deep burrows in the earth. A lot of folks will put them into enclosures with dirt, with no hides, with no starter burrows because, hey, they're just going to build their own. That's not the way to do it. You want to make the spider feel as safe as quickly as possible. So the trick is when rehousing a fossorial old world or housing a fossorial old world, A, give it several inches of substrate. Don't scrimp on the substrate. Don't give it a shallow enclosure. 
Also, don't fill the substrate like a couple inches from the top because keep in mind, if they're going to be digging, that dirt has to go somewhere. You'll have a situation where it'll dig out the whole bottom of that enclosure, bring all the dirt up top, and then you have dirt packed right up against the top of the enclosure. Leave several inches above for that dirt to be deposited or if it doesn't burrow, what it will do, as we mentioned earlier, will most likely web. Give it some room to web. Again, that keeps a situ- it creates a situation where you have more room for the spider to feel safe when you pop the top off of that enclosure. So for example, I have several juvenile P. murinus OBTs that I have to rehouse and I was looking for something for them and I was specifically looking for enclosures that offered several inches of depth. So the ones I got are about 10 and a half inches or so. I will put several inches of substrate in there. I will put some anchor points, some hides in there and give those guys the opportunity to either burrow if they want or what OBTs will often do if you're given the anchor points and the hides will often web up the top and that will give them enough room. When I open that enclosure, there shouldn't be any issues with me ripping the webbing out. Also, as I just mentioned, coverage and anchor points are crucial when setting them up. Give them multiple hides. That's one thing I've been doing lately. I know we talked about the when you drop the fossorial in, you just expect it to dig. Give it a place to hide first. Put some hides in there with starter bros. Take If it's a smaller species, back of a paintbrush, make a little hole in the substrate, down deep, put a piece of cork bark over it, make it a nice little enticing hide. What will happen is you put them in the enclosure, they will bolt to that hide, or if you give them more than one, one of those hides, and then they set up there, they'll usually web a little bit around the top, and then they start burrowing. That makes them settle in a lot more quickly. It keeps a situation for where you get the spider, you put the old world into the enclosure, you put the top on, you come back later on, and it's up on the side of the enclosure, which makes it dangerous and kind of unsafe to open that enclosure without that spider potentially bolting out. That helps to avoid that. If it's a species that likes to web, give them anchor points. In order to start their webbing, they need something to web to. They need anchor points to put their silk down to. So even in an enclosure where you don't expect the spider to do a lot of burrowing, give it that starter burrow, give it some fake foliage or real foliage, something in there for it to start the web to because a lot of times what they'll do is they'll hide in a corner, buy some of that foliage, and they'll immediately start webbing around it. This allows the spider to create itself a refuge that it can bolt to when disturbed and feel safe. And foliage has other benefits besides just giving it something to web to. Tarantulas caught in the open will sometimes bolt, and if you have foliage in there, it gives them more security. They feel like they can come out and explore more because they have something to hide behind. So back in the day, I was guilty of this. I would have Spartan enclosures with some of my old world species. I put like one starter burrow in with a piece of cork bark, a couple leaves, and that was it. And if I caught the spider out in the open, it immediately felt trapped. It would throw up maybe a threat posture. I had this happen a long time ago with an OBTA, one of the first YouTube videos I ever posted. It was my fault. If I had had some foliage in there, the spider probably would have felt more secure. So foliage will give the spider something web to web to it'll serve as some coverage to make the spider feel more secure because again this is all about making our spiders feel secure in their own surroundings so we don't get those defensive behaviors when we have to work with them so now let's get into some rehousing tips first of all when talking about rehousing we need to consider a very important point First of all, a tarantula's hairs are not just for show. They are part of a powerful sense organ that allows a tarantula to detect even the most subtle vibrations or change in airflow. You have a tarantula sitting there. It's got its webbing out. It can feel changes, slight changes in airflow. It can feel the webbing. So you need to take into account that the hairs are a sense organ for the spider. The slightest breeze from your breath or what ends up happening when you rehouse a spider, they're in their environment. They recognize the airflow. It's coming from probably the, hopefully the air holes you put into it. But as soon as you take that top off, that air pressure changes completely. The temperature changes, the airflow in the room changes, and they feel that and they feel exposed. And that's why the catch cup is so important. I use catch cups on just about every spider I have because A, I firmly believe it is the safest way to transport a spider from point A to point B. I know some folks out there, there's some folks that do the videos that do the poke and pray. It drives me nuts because I'll get people on my video. Why don't you just poke the spider with a brush there? It seems to me that would be easier and safer. It's not about being easier and it's definitely not safer. If the spider were to bolt and that can happen with a poke and pray and not go the right way, now you have a spider loose. The other thing is 
the catch cup isn't just to transport the spider, it's to block the airflow, which makes the spider feel much more calm. Watch my videos. Watch how many times the spider, I take the top off, we start getting out, the spider's obviously a little jacked up. We drop the catch cup over it. There's this momentary, like the spider skitters for a second and then calms right down. And you can work with the spider much more easily and safely. A, the spider's contained, so it can't go anywhere. If you drop a catch cup over it, slide the cardboard under it, that spider's going nowhere. And B, the spider feels more secure. I think people miss that part of it. The spider is fine. I've had folks go, well, when you're putting it in the catch cup, that's stressing it out more. I 150% disagree. I've watched spiders that are completely going out of their mind. You put a catch cup over them, leave them there for a second. They calm right down because they feel safer and secure. They don't feel that threat, that airflow around them that's telling them that sensory overload that's telling them I'm exposed and I'm in danger. So some folks try to prod spiders in the catch cup using a paintbrush or straw. Whatever floats your boat, personally, when possible, I find it best, if I can, to just place the catch cup right over the spider. If there's a part, a point where the spider is in like a corner or something, I have the catch cup that's the Simply Limeade container. Anybody who watch my videos knows I joke all the time. I'm hoping I get a sponsorship from them. It's totally a joke. But those fit beautifully in a corner. You drop it right over the spider. You can slip the paintbrush underneath it and kind of poke the spider in the bottom. They'll usually, they like to go up. So they usually go right up in it. And then you just slide the piece of cardboard underneath it. Your spider is completely contained. You can either carefully use a brush to get it to go out the bottom or the top. If you, I use a Simply Limeade, it can work either way. Sometimes I take the top off and I post, uh, poke the spider so it moves down the bottom. Or you can do it the other way, whichever it is. Or in some cases, if the enclosure is big enough, you just drop the, the cup in and you let the spider come out on its own. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I posted once I had a rehousing where I left the spider in the cup and somebody came on and went, well, that's cheating. No, it's not cheating. It's using your brain. What is the point? If the spider doesn't want to come out, if it's holding its ground, if you go to stick the paintbrush in and it starts a threat posture, lay the cup down so it can easily get out, take it out later. It'll eventually come out of the, the catch cup find one of its starter burrows and go do its thing. You can pull the cup out then. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And that's why if you're doing a rehousing, try to look for catch. If you're worried about being able to get the spider out of the catch cup, if that's something that's bothering you, try to use a catch cup that will fit into the new enclosure. That'll also help. Planning ahead of time, going, hey, you know what? I'm putting it into this Exoterra Nano Mini Tall, whatever it is, the 8x8x12. I need a catch cup that'll allow me to put it right in there, let it come out on its own. Another point to consider when rehousing your tarantulas is many of them have an aversion to bright light. Their eyesight may not be great, but they can definitely tell when the lights bright out and they can seek out darker spaces. And with that in mind, you can use that strategically to direct your spider into its new burrow, which helps, again, reduce the chances of your spider bolting. Not only are they usually easier to coax into darker burrows but that can sometimes be the starter burrow the spider goes in the burrow it stays there it starts digging webbing from there and you have a spider that settles in much more quickly so I always use the example of when I rehoused seven of my Pisolotheria metallicas that I had in a communal. I strategically built a nice dark area at the back of the enclosure using cork bark and plants. And when I moved the spiders in the new enclosure, I made sure to direct them right into this dark and private area so they'd immediately feel more secure and they would hang out there and not bolt out of the enclosure while I was getting other spiders. It worked great. The other thing I've done is I have cardboard. I will cut the cardboard in sort of a V shape. So I'll make the cardboard bent at a 90 degree angle. So there's two sides of it and I will position that at the back of the enclosure to create a nice dark spot behind the cork bark and again create that dark area so that I can just get the spider right into it and I found that when I create that dark area especially if you think about it I'm a lot of times doing videos where I have lights they don't like the lights they will flee the lights by going into that dark area they will settle down there much more quickly and I don't have to worry about them bolting out of this, the enclosure and this works with all spiders it doesn't just work with old worlds it works with new worlds I've used it with with huntsman spiders, it works great. So the next tip I'm going to give you is, it's going to see, seem counterintuitive, but I've mentioned it before, so if you've listened to my videos before, or listened to my podcast before, you probably know this is coming. Always plan for the spider to get out of the enclosure, and by that I mean to not have the spider go directly into from enclosure A to enclosure B. Plan, not saying expected, but plan for a situation where the spider gets out. And I think this can be scary for some. I know that when I first started keeping tarantulas and was doing rehousings, my idea of a perfect rehousing was the spider went from point A to point B with nothing in between. I took it out of the old enclosure, I put it in the new enclosure, done. And unfortunately, when we get in that mindset, 
if the spider doesn't go where it needs to go, that can trigger that type of panic that leads to a bad situation. And I think I've talked, spoken to many people before that have told me, oh, I did a rehousing. It didn't go well, though. The spider got out and I was able to cup it and get the new enclosure. Well, that sounds like it went well because you didn't panic. So when I rehouse, I usually have both enclosures in a much larger plastic enclosure, a, a plastic bin. And basically, this bin provides an extra barrier should the spider get out. Tarantulas will usually run until they reach a corner or a place to hide. So another good practice is to crumple up paper towels and put them in the corners of that plastic container. This has worked for me a few times where a spider's got out, and they'll usually circle rather quickly. They will get underneath one of those paper towels. They will feel more secure, and then you can cup them there. So that all also helps. So I think a lot of mishaps can happen when a spider gets out and starts to panic and then the owner starts to panic. So prepping ahead of time for that to happen really helps because then if the spider does get out, you're waiting for it. You're ready for it. It's not, oh God, this thing's a disaster. And I've heard from folks who have gotten to that point where the spider got out and it was like they had no idea what to do because that wasn't part of the plan always plan that the spider doesn't necessarily go from point A to point B and always wait for his spider to stop running to cup it. And I think that's where having that extra barrier in there, that extra container and those paper towels really helps because the spider stops. You can wait till it goes under a piece of paper towel, move the paper towel carefully, cup it right then and there. Some folks also like to perform their rehousings in the bathtub for extra security. This basically means that the tarantula, if the tarantula gets out, it's, they've got a big wide open area to catch it. If it goes up, they have a hard time gripping. They can grip, and let me make this very clear, they can grip the side of the bathtub. The fiberglass bathtub, porcelain bathtubs, they can get up it. They don't move as quickly. They can slip. A good tip to keep them from being able to climb up the side of the bathtub easily is to mist the whole thing down ahead of time. Take out, if you have one of those little sprayers, moisten the whole thing. It makes it a little more difficult for them to climb those surfaces. And make sure you plug the drain. If you have an open drain or if you have any spots in your bathroom that the spider can hide in, plug them all just in case. And when rehousing fossorial tarantulas, I... I personally like to dig them out. I know there's folks out there that do the flood method. I'm not, it doesn't work as well for me. I find digging them out works fine. What will usually happen is as you start digging them out, the spider will flatten itself into the bottom of the burrow and hide. They are not trying to fight. They are trying to squish themselves up. I can't tell you how many times I've done this and had a difficult time, even with almost all the dirt out, locating the spider because it's still trying to hide in the dirt because that's its best defense. That's what it thinks its best defense is. So when you dig them out, use a spoon do it carefully. Try to figure out where the spider is and make sure you don't hit the spider with the spoon. I like to carefully tilt the enclosure on its side. Again, some people like to do this in a bathtub because it allows you to get all that dirt out and be able to see better and have more of an area. I definitely, if you're digging them out, have a big basin that you can put it in so that you can pull the dirt out and see the spider. What usually happens is once you get the spider completely uncovered, that will be when the spider, if it's going to bolt, will bolt and you can usually see it coming. So the spider will be scrunched up in the side and then all of a sudden you'll see the spider spread out its legs that's a spider that's like, all right, I'm in the open. I got to get out of here. And that's one that's usually ready to bolt. So that's where you want to be careful. But I found a lot of times what you can do is while they're still scrunched up, you get your catch cup in there and you take your brush, you slide it underneath the dirt because it's all softened up at the point underneath the spider and just kind of coax it into the catch cup and you get them in that way. I've done that with my H gigas. I've done it with my P. muticus back in the day with my C. lividus works great with them. So that would be the trick I would tell people as far as Digging the spiders out, take your time, work slowly, work at an angle that you're giving the spider a, a means of egress, meaning try not to put your hand directly in front of the path of the spider. I usually use a nice long-handled spoon so I can have my hand out of the enclosure as I come at the soil with at an angle so my hand isn't directly in front of it if it should try to bolt. And finally, if there's ever going to be any other time that you run into issues with your old world, it will be during maintenance. Now, as I said earlier, I have no issue doing maintenance with my old worlds. I never have any problems with them. But this is where sometimes folks will stumble. So first tip, never reach into an enclosure with your bare hands. When you're moving boluses, if you're moving water dishes, if you're cleaning out some uh, the dead prey item you find, whatever it may be, when you're entering your spider's domain, keep in mind that you don't want to put your bare hands in there. Grab some tongs, use the tongs. I like ones, you know, 12-inch tongs I absolutely love. I have anywhere from 8 to 12 inches. I tend to use my 12-inch ones more often. 
reach in with those, grab whatever you need to grab. Do not stick your bare hands in there. Keep in mind that when you're doing maintenance, the slightest vibration on their webs can send them blasting out of wherever they're hiding, looking for prey. So it's very important that you recognize that. You don't want it about, you know, flying out of its den or out of its cork bark hide, whatever it may be. You want to be very careful because any, I've literally opened up enclosures before and just breathed on the webbing in front of it and seen the spider scuttle out. So closest call I've ever had to date was a P. murinus. I was feeding. I opened up the enclosure and there's video of this. I put it out there as a reminder why you got to be careful. And I was trying to get a feeding clip. I dropped a cricket in and I was trying to record it. It overshot the cricket and came out out of the web and charged kind of towards me. Now, if my hand had been too close, if the camera had been too close, that could have been a nightmare. And I think that was a good reminder to me that Sure, I see the cricket in there. The spider is just going by the fact that it can feel that vibration. I was probably blowing on the upper web away from the cricket. The cricket froze from it. The spider overshot the cricket, came at me. Always something to keep in mind. And then while on the topic of tongs, I do not recommend tong feeding your spiders. I know there are folks out there that do this all the time on YouTube that's their prerogative. I mean, a lot of people do it. I'm not going to sit there and say that people don't do it and do it successfully, but it just adds an increased risk because they can overshoot their tongs and end up on your hand. They can overshoot the tongs. And even if they don't bite you end up scared because now they're out of their enclosure, don't know where to go. I just spoke to a guy last month who was tong feeding a piece of Latheria species. He was trying to get good footage of it. He was dragging the spider out of its enclosure. It overshot the tong, went up his arm ended up on his back so you need to be careful in doing that i know a lot of folks out there doing the videos will do it it's it makes for good footage but again can you do it and have nothing bad happen of course is it introducing what i believe to be an extra risk yes so for people that have been doing this in the hobby a long time that do this, that's one thing. I think the problem is people see this that haven't been doing this a while, that wouldn't know how to react if the you know the worst case scenario happened and the spider bolted up their armor up the, the tongs, that could cause a panic. And I think some of them see people feeding their spiders like this and think that's how it's done. I've had people email me and say, yep, I got all the things I need for a spider. I've been tong feeding it. And I'm like, why are you tong feeding it? And they're like, oh, I thought we we're supposed to tong feed it. No, let it hunt. The funnest part about tarantulas, as far as I'm concerned, is watching them go on the hunt, watching them sprint across and grab a prey at them. Are there situations where you may have a spider that isn't, like, I think in terms of avicularia carabina versicola, I've heard several instances of people having them and they're not coming down getting the prey at them. Then if you carefully tong feed, whatever, I usually try to use bamboo tongs for that because they are less hard and more forgiving than metal tongs. So the other thing is they could strike and grab them with their fangs. Again, does it happen often? Nope. Can it happen? Yes, it can. Now, another potential obstacle or potential thing that's going to come up with the old world species is the fact that a lot of times they will web up their water dishes. If you're trying to give them a clean water dish at all times, this can be a little bit difficult. There's a couple ways to deal with this. Number one, you can get a pair of aquarium scissors or any sharp scissors. Just be careful when you're going in there. I usually like to take a piece of cardboard, block off the spider's den. When I do this, I go around with the scissors and I just carefully cut the part of webbing out of the way around the water dish, pull the webbing dish out, clean it, put it back in. Lovely way to do it. Just again, make sure you block off the den. Another solution is I use a lot of the little souffle cups for water dishes. If they fill up the water dish with webbing, just drop in another souffle cup into the old one and fill that one up. And what'll happen there is at least you don't have to disturb the webbing. You don't have to take the chance of the spider charging out when you're trying to clean the dish. And then you can just go ahead and pluck that dish out next time and replace it if it gets all webbed up again. And finally, Another tip I have, some of the best times to do maintenance is after the spiders have been fed. I've had very good luck loading my guys up with crickets and waiting for them to do the tarantula happy dance before removing boluses and filling dishes. At that point, they're often too preoccupied in eating what they already have and they won't venture across the enclosure. I've actually never had one do it. Just obviously be careful, keep an eye on the spider because if it's still in feeding mode and you start pulling on it. I have had ones start to flatten out like, wait a minute, there's something else here. Normally what they'll do if they're already webbing up their food and the, you know, you've given them a bunch of crickets, they'll normally focus on that and you can kind of go in and clean stuff out. So that about covers my spiel on old world tarantulas. Again, I've covered many of these points in different podcasts, but I really wanted to bring it all together and kind of sum it up as in don't let all the hype out there get to you. Do your research. The things I'm saying in this podcast 
are true. You can look them up. Look up those bite reports. See how many people are goofing off with their spiders, tong feed them, taking pictures of them. They get bit. Try to find things. I want you to find. I'd love to hear a situation where somebody opens the top of their enclosure and their old world launches itself out and lands on them and attacks them. That's what I would have to see to be able to go, that's an aggressive spider. They're not aggressive. They're, they're worried about us. I hate to use the term scared because we're going to get into the discussion whether or not they feel complex emotions. I do think they recognize us as a threat. And a lot of times when we're getting that behavior, it's defensive behavior. And then the point is, be feel like you're ready for them. Exercise good techniques respect, not fear. That's the most important thing. That's why I'm doing this podcast. So hopefully some people come away feeling a little more confident. I love when people come on to my videos or podcasts and say, hey, after watching some of your videos, listening to your podcast, I felt like I was ready to take the plunge. And now it's been a year. I have 10 old world species. It's going great. I love hearing that stuff. And I love when people go, you're right. I had heard all this hype about them. I got them now. And I really don't get what the deal is. I have so many folks that have kept tarantulas for years that will agree with me when I say I tend to have more trouble with my new world species during rehousings than my old world ones. They can be a little more unpredictable than the old world ones. So that's something to keep in mind. And then as far as the tips are concerned, you know, again, as I've already said, practice and perfect your rehousing systems. That's most likely where a mishap is going to occur. If you're going to do a rehousing and you catch them out in the open or they are agitated, abort the mission, walk away, come back later. Plan for them not to go directly in the enclosure. Always plan ahead of time. Plan, 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 plan. Run this thing over in your head a million times. Make sure you've considered all the possible contingencies. Make sure you've make sure you have a good place to rehouse. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but preferably it should be an area clear of obstacles, clear of places where they can hide. Shouldn't be next to baseboard heaters. I've had people in a panic that had to turn off their heat because the thing climbed up and got into the baseboard heater and they had to disassemble it to get them out. Make sure you give good thought to where you're rehousing. Create those starter burrows, a dark area to guide the spider into its new home and make it less likely to bolt. YouTubers, keep the cameras and lights out of the spider's face. I think that's another thing is people run into issues when they get these spiders. I did it. I'm speaking from experience with that P. Metallica where you're getting up in their face and you do something stupid because you're trying to get a good shot. Use tongs during all the maintenance. Another trick when you're doing maintenance, gently jostle the enclosure before opening. This will cause most, like Pisolotheria will either hide or flatten out. Other species, the fossorial species, will usually immediately turn around, bolt into their dens. They recognize this isn't prey coming. If it's shaking the whole ground, this might not be good. And they will usually hide. And then always use catch cups when rehousing to minimize the risk of escape. And finally, give them room. Don't give them, don't be a substrate Scrooge. Don't be a enclosure depth Scrooge. Can that be a thing? Give them some depth in the enclosure. Give them room to breathe, to feel comfortable, to feel secure. That will vastly eliminate any issues with defensiveness. I'm often asked by folks how many close calls I've had with my old world species. And I can say that after spending years working with dozens of old world tarantulas, I've had exactly one close call, and it was because I was trying to make a feeding video for my YouTube channel. That's it. Keeper error, not the spider's fault. Totally my fault. So for you folks out there to keep old worlds, love old worlds, please feel free to chime in with your experiences with them. I think folks really need to hear it from those of us who keep them, enjoy them, and are not terrified of them to give them a little confidence. And again, we're not trying, because there's always going to be somebody that comes on, I'm not trying to convince people to jump in if they're not ready. I'm not trying to tell people that everybody needs to keep all worlds. Not at all. I, I, many of you have spoken to me about the fact that you don't ever plan on keeping old worlds and I've never tried to convince you otherwise. That's your decision. Completely understand. What I am trying to do is get those people out there that may eventually keep them, but they're being turned off by some of the misinformation, some of the crap that's out there on YouTube and try to give them the confidence and the correct skills they need to practice to get ready for keeping these animals. Cause I do think they're amazing. And I do think that for most folks to get into keeping old, uh, old worlds, it's just such a different experience and a cool experience, and it opens it up to so many more spiders to keep. So that will do it for this one. As always, uh, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders podcast. You can find me on YouTube. I would implore people, feel free to chime in with your experiences with old worlds, with any tips 
you may have with working with old world species. I would love to hear them. I'm sure other people would love to hear them. And share, you know, again, good or bad, what have what have been your experiences with working with old worlds? I can't believe this ran an hour and eight minutes. I originally, I sit down with these podcasts. I have like a list of notes and I try to imagine how long it's going to take to get through it. This I thought was going to be like a 40 minute one. Yeah, it's not, but it's a good topic, one that's near and dear to my heart. And I'm glad I could finally discuss it. This was originally something I planned on doing as a video a while back when a YouTuber did one about dangerous tarantulas. It just drove me nuts and I just never got around to editing, unfortunately. Maybe someday I'll get around to because I do think people need to hear this. They need good information out there. They need something to counter some of these silly lists out there that are portraying them as being nasty and dangerous. I just can't stand it. So that'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe and we'll catch you all next time.